welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, and often ignored. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today for our first podcast of 2021 is Colin Stokes, MBE, a former prostate cancer patient and founder of The Prostate Project. Established in 1998 with the aim of giving men a better chance of beating prostate cancer, the Prostate Cancer Project has raised over 10 million pounds and helped the Royal Surrey County Hospital achieve center of excellence status in the treatment of prostate cancer. It has provided equipment and specialist nursing staff to the Royal Surrey, St. Luke's Cancer Center and Frimley Park Hospital and runs an active patient support group in the Guildford area. Colin's here to talk with me about how charities like his play a vital role in research and patient support. Colin, welcome to On Focus and a very happy new year to you. Well, a happy new year to you and it's great to be with you. And thank you very much for uh, talking to me about the Prostate Project. Excellent, I'm, well, I'm looking forward to it. So let's dive right in. And I think the best way to start is I've given a very brief summary, but perhaps you could open this discussion up by telling us about how you established the Prostate Project and what its mission has been and is currently. Yeah, well, in 1997, I was exceptionally lucky to uh, have a minor lump on my face and a very up-to-date and observant doctor, the GP I went to, decided that he would check my prostate and found that I had prostate cancer. I had no idea what it, what it was. I'd hardly heard of it. I suppose I had, but it, I never thought I would have it. Hmm. And he found it by a physical examination. And I then went on, as you did then, to see a consultant. And during the meetings with John Davis, he, he was very, we got on quite well. And we talked about prostate cancer. And he outlined the shortage of capital equipment for treatment and diagnosis in the Royal Surrey. Okay. And he had recently joined. And so we said, you know, well, the, the, the simple contract was, uh, you keep me alive, I'll raise you some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> having that discussion. So he promised to do his bit. Uh, and I said, well, in that case, I'll do that. And after about nine months, no, it probably wasn't nine months, six months after I had the operation, because then the choices were pretty limited and I had an open uh, surgery removal. I think, mm-hmm. you know, they cut you from belly button down to, to straight down. And, um, you know, it was a, a sort of major physical operation. So when we met, we said, hey, look, what's the issues? And he told me the issues in more detail about the fact they had one ultrasound machine, very old one, of course, but it was, it was good at the time, but it, yeah, what well, doesn't do what today's does. Mm-hmm. And he explained that whenever they'd only got one in the hospital, which meant whenever there were two of them doing clinics, they had to push the ultrasound between them mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And, and so it was crystal clear that they needed some capital money support. So we said, let's get some friends together and let's raise you some money. And he got, I don't know, five or six of his friends and I got five or six of my friends. And the prostate project was born. And really, 
as you rightly said, it is right from the day one about giving men a better chance of beating prostate cancer. So any decision that the trustees made was always with that absolutely firmly in our minds. Okay. Wow. So question I have is that 23 years ago, you know, 1998 doesn't sound that long ago, although I suppose was it 1997 when you were diagnosed? 23 years. 23 years. So, I mean, a lot has happened since then. And and what would you say are the biggest and most positive developments since then for men? Well, Well, probably if I look back and think, uh, a, what I had to go through in order to be properly diagnosed. Now, first of all, you had very poor ultrasound. Mm-hmm. They, they had a PSA test, mm-hmm. which gave them some information. They took blood, obviously, and then they had to do a biopsy. Mm. And you did a biopsy without any anaesthetic. So, really? Uh, yeah. And on a Saturday morning, I remember going to see John and having this put up my backside mm. uh, and polite terms and having the uh, biopsies taken. Now, that was a pretty unpleasant experience. And Absolutely. Probably, and probably had a lot of danger about it, I suspect, I suspect in retrospect, but you didn't think of it then. Mm. And I suppose these days, the huge advantage of uh, accurate and more effective diagnosis, the dropping of the use of a biopsy as a diagnosis tool, largely, it is used, but it's not the first thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, almost, it's the last thing if they want to know exactly where the cancer is. It's mm-hmm. one of the major moves. And, and the latest move where we've just bought the Royal Surrey, a ultrasound and a... Uh, and it melds together with the MRI scanning. We've bought the computerized version. So that's at the fusion, the fusion biopsy system. Well, it fuses the two images. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine, originally, when they had ultrasound and MRI scan, they had two scans to look at, and they mm-hmm. had to try vis- visually to put the two scans together. That doesn't happen any longer at the mm-hmm. They have the machine, it gives an absolutely crystal clear picture of where the cancer is in the prostate. Mm-hmm. And so their ability to then, if they need to take a biopsy, it's A, of course, it's done with either local or full anaesthetic. And of course, bingo, they go straight on for the cancer and they can find out exactly how aggressive it is. So that bit of it, the diagnosis is dramatically better. Indeed. Yes, it has. Yeah. And then, of course, the choice I had was you have yourself cut open and take it out or you, you have radiotherapy, as I remember. I, I mean, it's a long time ago, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I can remember he showed me the options and it was, you know, as far as I was concerned, it was take it out, let's get rid of it, mm-hmm. which is what we did. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the, the huge advantage, advances in diagnosis and treatment has been amazing. And would you say you've been very much part of that journey through the Prostate Project? Well, in a very small way. I mean, but this has been a world movement. And, you know, what's found out in California or Melbourne or South Africa is soon understood throughout the world. Yes. So, you know, it isn't about isolation. It's about collaboration. And yes. the collaboration is amazing. The number of 
seminars and discussions and interchange and mm-hmm. people moving about. That's really what has made it successful, I think, is a world effort. Each step in that world effort just adds to the importance of continuing to improve and never think you're at the end of the journey. You're, well, mm-hmm. you're on the journey, but you're not at the end of the journey. And I get worried when I see suggestions that this system's better than that system. or yeah, the, you, you know, that's just being competitive when it's not true. I mean, mm-hmm. every, every person who gets prostate cancer should have, have access to every opportunity of treatment because mm-hmm. every person is personal and what I would want and what John would want and Bill would want and Graham would want will be different. Absolutely. And of course, the individuals, you know, the, the, the guys you just listed, each of their capacity to find information online, which of course really yeah. didn't exist 23 years ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah, is I'm a sorry. big that's part right. of the journey, isn't it? And a that's big right. part that's of the obvious. experience. Yeah, you, you don't mm-hmm. hide things. Mm-hmm. But there is, there is something that, that is crucial to the Prostate Project, which has been also in the base of its thinking and ambition and dynamism is that this is about turning the Royal Surrey, St. Luke's Cancer Centre, and then after a couple of years, which is when we joined up with Friendly Park, turning them into a centre of excellence, a world centre of excellence that will give men a better chance of beating prostate cancer. And we we look at what others do and we, we look at what other charities operate. And the one our difference is that we have remained focused to that area. That's interesting. So I was going to ask you about um, the Royal Surrey, which is where this whole journey began, both for you personally and and for the project. And your generosity in supporting that hospital is legendary. So tell me, for example, about the Stokes Centre for Urology, which which you've now established, and and how that's contributed to the centre, the world-class Centre for Excellence. Can I take you through a bit of the history? Because there there was a journey we went on. The first thing that happened was we realised that this was not going to last for a year and we weren't going to just raise 350000 and we weren't going to close down. Mm-hmm. So it became crystal clear that there was a, a much bigger need. So the first thing that happened was we realised that not only should we be working for the Royal Surrey, but Friendly Park Hospital, which is up the road, has a very effective urology department and it was right that both should be welded together. Mm-hmm. Not competitive, but working as a as a um, as a duo. Mm-hmm. So that happened in two thousand. It then became we went and talked to Prostate Cancer UK in about two thousand and one, or, or or what was then a group of various charities. Uh, uh, amongst them, they were there, and we realised that actually the function of a local charity like the Prostate Project was not to advance world uh, acknowledgement, but to mm-hmm. make it effective here in this location. And that's so we, we decided that was when we focused on that. Then we realised that if you want to be really effective, you've got to have a powerful research arm. Now, uh, consultants do research, that's obvious, and, uh, and that, there's a whole lot of research goes on in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Just across the road from the Royal Surrey is a, a Surrey University, right. a highly capable technical organisation. 
And around 2004, we talked to World Surrey and they talked to us because there was mutual. They wanted to bring another area of medical research into the Royal Surrey. And we bid and got that position. And in 2006, having raised two million pounds, we funded the development uh, with the University of Surrey. We funded a research group, which has been in existence since then. And it's 25 people strong or thereabouts. It's sometimes 20. It moves because it has PhD students in it. But it's around 20 uh, plus uh, medics there. And they are operating as a research organisation under the aegis of the University of Surrey. And is that funded entirely by the Prostate Project? It was a mutual funding. So they, okay. we, but they couldn't have done it without us. And we couldn't have done it without them. So it was a highly beneficial mutual activity. And they're still continuing their research. Absolutely. It's and what are, what are the highlights of their research? What are some of the things that they've been well, investigating? Well, the, the, the main, I'll tell you one of the things that's happened fairly recently, right? They've treating advanced prostate cancer. There's always been a concern. You, you get metastases from a, from a prostate cancer, you know, cancer in the prostate, moves to lymphs, it moves to all around the body, to bones, goes to spines. And they'd always treated those metastases as if they were, in fact, prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. Well, two years ago, funding one of the PhD students, as one of our very key supporters do, um, he discovered, along with a Canadian university, that that is not what happens. It moves, but when it moves, it completely mutates and changes. Now, there is a proper technical term for that, and I'm sorry, I don't remember it. But if you get metastasized prostate cancer and then try to treat it as this is prostate cancer, it ain't going to work. Or it mm -hmm. might not work. It sometimes does. So that, to me, would be a highlight because nobody else in the world but the guy in Rosary, a PhD student, working with a colleague in Canada, discovered this amazing fact, which means that, of course, treatment of men who have advanced prostate cancer it can now be much more effective. Hmm. Because now what they know is that if you actually have metastasized prostate cancer, they'll test to see if it responds to normal treatment. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, they biopsy it and find out what the real cancer is that's in that particular location. Okay. Um, that doesn't sound a lot, but, you know, that's a huge step. And Absolutely. A whole, a whole range of those mm -hmm. steps that have taken place in the 14 years that they've been operating. But the other important thing about that, when we put our money in, we said the one thing we don't want is a separated research group. So the research group, Always the top guys, Professor Panda and his top team, all do clinics in the Royal Surrey St. Luke's Cancer Centre. Now, what this means is they are day-to-day -day dealing with men with advanced prostate cancer. So that links research into reality. Absolutely, yeah. So that was part of our money. When we put our money in, we said, look, that's what you've got to do. And they agreed. So yeah. they, Professor Panda, every week, is a, an oncologist working in the Royal Surrey Cancer Centre, St Luke's it's called, 
And that means he's constantly up to date. Does it also mean that the patients themselves are, you know, sort of given some sort of aspect of hope because they might be involved in research, whether it's a full-fledged trial or, or just a new innovation? Of course, endlessly. Mm. I can remember being involved, talking to him, and we were helping to fund the, an investment into some new, a, a new trial of a new uh, particular drug for advanced prostate cancer. And I remember saying, this is about 2012, I remember saying, you better get on with this because you never know, I might need it one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. did in the middle of the pandemic find that I needed that extra boost mm. for my uh, treatment. And, and there it is. So that was the next step in the prostate project. So now we had two hospitals, all the consultants at the Royal Surrey, part of the prostate project. Because one of the things we said right from the start, it's got to have in its trusteeship, it's got to have an equal number of medics to patients. Mm -hmm. So the trustees are balanced when they're looking at what we should do and how we should spend our money between people who are heavily involved in the, in the uh, med medical side, but heavily involved in patient side. So mm. we have, and we have that constant debate and discussion as to what is the way we should best next proceed using the money we've got and using our effectiveness and in bringing messages to other medical people to doctors. Well, the other thing that I know about it is that you know, the appreciation clearly goes both ways. And Royal Surrey has awarded you with an honorary doctorate, I believe. And and just oh, no, while I'm on that topic, the Queen has awarded you with an MBE. So do you yeah, talk no, a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the university awarded me the doctorate um, because, you know, it was a recognition for the charity that, that of what we'd done with the university. And yeah, you're quite right. The, the Hospital for Services to the Royal Surrey, I got an MBE. But look, that is all about the charity. That's all about a team. Mm -hmm. I, I always feel it's a bit unfair for, for one person to be selected out of a team. I mean, the reality of the team in the Prostate Project, right from the start, they have been an amazing group of people working together, focusing on the next ambition, um, People have willingly given us time and energy and effort and money. And, and that's what's amazing. The yeah. amazing thing about the Prostate Project is it's run with very few expenses. We have never had an office. We've never paid for an office. We've never paid for people. We've mm. never paid for administration. We've never had to pay rent and rates and have offices painted. We've never paid a chief executive. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, that's what I call an impactful investment in a charity. Yeah, 96% yeah. of the money some we get given gets used in the what we declare as giving men a better chance. That's very impressive. Very impressive. So, so Colin, I just want to shift the conversation really quickly yes, before yes. we conclude that something else I think our listeners will be interested to know is, is that you were one of the first in the country to receive the COVID vaccine recently. Well, I was. That's because I'm a volunteer. I go to the U U urology centre and meet uh, men and their families who have, uh, are being diagnosed, have been diagnosed. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the urology centre 
is obviously a high spot now because it is an absolute centre of excellence. It's a great centre. I don't know if you've ever been there. I'd be very happy to show you around. It is a brilliantly designed uh, centre, designed largely by the medical team and led by Professor Stephen Langley. And that centre works brilliantly because it brings all the people together who are involved in the treatment, uh, diagnosis and treatment of prostate cancer. So I can assure you that is a, now a brilliant centre uh, and it's a centre that ought to be replicated elsewhere because it's so... It's well, that's so, an interesting idea. So it's like a, a template. But just to finish on the COVID sorry. vaccine, I wanted to ask you about how, how that's impacted your outlook on, well, healthcare generally, but you know, more importantly, prostate cancer support in the UK. I mean, do you think we're kind of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel? And you know, how do you well, see where we stand? Extent. Oh, well, I think now I think the vaccine is going to be the, the uh, resolution of this uh, pandemic um, and we will get it. It, it. And they're get, going to get it out very quickly. And I was very lucky because I'm a, uh, a volunteer. I got it early on. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't act any differently. I work. In <laughs> I just say absolutely we are still locked down in our own way. We're in tier four. We behave as if we're in tier four. So, you know. That, that's good. Can I just say one other thing about of course. Well, one thing about prostate cancer, which is never quite presented, and we are in the process. You asked us what we're going to do. Well, we're going to present prostate cancer in a slightly different way because prostate cancer has no symptoms. This is a symptomless disease, and it only has symptoms when it spreads. Yeah. So... The problem is people are encouraged, men are encouraged to wait until they have symptoms. Oh, well, have you got water work? In fact, when you go to doctors, even now, they'll say, have you water work problem? No. Mm. Have you any backache? No. Have you erectile problems? No. Well, then what, what, what's you worrying about? Yeah. What, what we should be worrying about is the fact that more men are being diagnosed with it, but they're being diagnosed when they have symptoms. That means it's spread. Absolutely. Now, so we're starting a waging war campaign on getting men to understand it's a symptomless disease when it can be treated. 94% of the people who come, men who come to the urology centre at the Royal Surrey and it's in the capsule are cured. Mm-hmm. If they come when it's spread, then they're, in, they're on a long journey. Now, mm-hmm. it, can be, it can be an easy, long journey like mine, thank God. Or it can be much more difficult and it can be obviously life threatening. Mm-hmm. So the answer is to men and particularly to black men because they are more, they get it more. Uh, yeah, twice, twice the rate. Yes. Yeah. So black men should particularly from the age of 45 and certainly from 50 or up to 70 have PSA tests as a guidance to see whether they've got a problem. Mm-hmm. And if they have, get themselves diagnosed. And because these days with the MRI and the ultrasound and now the, the fusion of this, mm-hmm. the diagnosis is so much more accurate, so Indeed. much more effective. Selecting mm-hmm. the treatment is so much more powerful. So, so how are you going to get that message out there, Colin? Ah, well, what we're doing is we, are, we, we were in the process of running training programs for doctors in their surgery with the... Uh, urology team were 
willing to go and talk. We were going to buy lunches for doctors and, and explain the reasons why things have changed because mm-hmm. things have changed. They've moved on. So we've got to make sure that every doctor who meets a man for whatever reason between the ages of 50 and 70 offers the PSA test as part of the normal processes. So you're referring to GPs specifically here? Yes, GPs. Because if you think about it, you've got a lot of GPs who will be worrying about their cholesterol, about their weight, about their eating habits. We just had an example, a man, a very close friend of mine who who knew he should have had a test, didn't. He spent the last 10 years having six monthly cholesterol tests. When we realized that his back was in a terrible state, we eventually got him to go to a spinal guy. And uh, it turns out he's got prostate cancer with secondaries in the spine. Yeah. If at any of those times when he was having his cholesterol done... It could have he'd been doing a PSA test. Precisely. And it would have cost minimal amount of money. What it it now costs the NHS is uh, two weeks in hospital, injections, support at home, all that. The money we've spent. And it's right that we do it, but if we'd have tested him when we were just doing other things, we'd have found out that he got it and that they would have treated it and it had been cured. Do you, Colin, do you see a time when the PSA test can be self-administered and it's a, the campaign becomes something that's taken up with, you know, not just governments and, and, and public health organizations, but, but even companies offering, you know, offering well, a test? I mean, we, we've got a lot of men coming to us. We had one the other week. He's a, a very senior business person. He came, he's 56, and he had multiple metastases all over his body. He said, but he can't, I'm not well, I'm not ill. I'm perfectly well, I operate normally. Yeah, but you've got a serious prostate cancer. You know, he'd got, I think, if I remember rightly, he'd got 10 different metastasized sites. Mm. Now, he didn't know he'd got anything. Mm. It was found because he he had been giving all his staff uh, health checks, which includes a PSA. That, yeah. So we should be doing it anyway. Mm. We should be testing. Mm. Yeah. Can it be self-administered? Mm. Well, we, we did, when we were, one of the early things we found, we have got a urine test that was developed at the, at the Royal Surrey. Now, the urine test, it worked perfectly, and it absolutely will tell you whether you've got prostate cancer. But the problem was, is get it from the urine to a test. It's a very sticky protein. It, they just couldn't do it commercially. Right. Uh, so can you, you can't give yourself a blood test. Now, could you do a prick? Mm. We might have to do a prick test. It's a very good question. I have no idea, but why not? Yeah, I mean, this is the issue. I mean, you're right about the urine test because it gives you an absolute cancer indication, whereas the PSA does not, as you say, it's, it's only an indicator. But you know, uh, these are the uh, these are the things we need to be looking at because you're quite yeah, right. What's changed yeah. is the diagnostic process is so precise. If, if only we could get men to have the early well, test. It is true what you just said, but you know, uh, all I, I, I'm worried about this sort of sense that the PSA is not a good test for can for prostate cancer. It's a it's a good test. Could it be better? Yeah. yeah we're all very excited today about a vaccine that's going to give 90% protection. Yeah, it's true. Very good point. 
Okay, mm. now if you had a PSA test that is actually 95%, it, it, it occasionally gives you too low a result. Mm. Rarely does it give you a too high a result. Mm. Well, I mm -hmm. can get all that detail for you. But look, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic test in yes. the same way as the AstraZeneca vaccine is. That's just as the same efficacy. Now, why do we get very excited about a test which gives you 90% protection. A PSA will give you 90%. Yes, protection. correct. But 90% yep. of the people would be all right. Mm. Occasionally someone isn't, or for the wrong reason. We've got to use what we've got effectively. We could use PSA if we used it routinely with men between the ages of 50 and 70, we would have a dramatic difference. No, you're right. That's a powerful message. And, you know, I, I will certainly... Uh certainly endeavor to make sure all our listeners support that and, and come to your site to, to, um, to help you do that. Um, and we'll look okay. forward to hearing more right. from what the Prostate Project is doing. Colin, thank you so much for speaking today with me. Um, well, thank it's been, you. It's been I'm such sure a pleasure. That. Learned a lot and, you know, really want to help support what's an incredible project and an incredible team. I've actually re re had to resign as chairman. Well, I don't have to. I chose to because at 82, I felt... If something happened now, I needed to make sure there was a very good follow-up, and there is, a guy called Alf Turner, and he is now chairman. But, but I'm still obviously heavily involved. So for our listeners, a transcript of this interview is available on our website with a link to the Prostate Project so you can learn more and hopefully find a way to support its great work. Visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk, where you can also learn about alternative treatments for prostate cancer and how we approach patient care at the Focal Therapy Clinic and access additional interviews with both patients and clinicians about their experiences with prostate cancer. Thanks for listening. From me, Claire Delmar, see you next time. <laughs>